This is the 451. I'm Summer Brennan. I'm Jesse Hirsch. And I'm Jonathan Mann. And we are a podcast for the resistance. So Jupiter has hives, guys. Oh, no. That's what I'm dealing with tonight. I've, is it the election? I mean, I've, the transition? Yeah. yeah. He's, he has hives because of Donald Trump. I, I'm, blaming, I'm blaming Trump. Are there reaction to anything in particular, or are they just spontaneous hives? Uh, we don't know. We don't know. Hopefully, I think we're giving him some, Bened- some ba- you know, baby Benadryl Aww. tonight, so we'll see how it goes. But that's what's happening in my life currently. Poor little guy. How are you guys? Hanging out. I'm okay. I'm back in New York. Welcome. Back in the back in the big city. Yeah. Thank goodness. Summer, you have been not very much on Twitter lately. No. Uh, although I have actually been on Twitter. Um, secretly? No, I, not secretly. I came in in the morning to say good morning, and I didn't check anything. Well, I checked like uh, my politicians' feed to see what they were doing, and I retweeted mm-hmm. a few politicians because that's what I do these days, and said good morning, and that's it. Um, I like that. I like your good morning. I, mean, yeah, I, 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 I do, too. Do you feel like you're actually talking to people? Like you're saying, hey. What's up, guys? I am talking to people. Yeah. <laughs> I am, in fact, saying good morning to real people who to see real it. Real human beings, yeah. Real human beings see it. And um, if I I forgot one morning and somebody did it for me. Aw. That's, <laughs> that's actually really sweet. Yeah. And, and another yeah, time I, I like that. almost forgot and someone was like, where's your good morning for well, good morning from the resistance? <laughs> I don't know. I just started doing it. It's like a tradition now. It's my own very own tradition that like me and two other people care about. Anyway. um, I like it. Yeah. I'm the third person that likes it. I've started doing emoji drawings. And so, of course, then yeah. like someone goes, oh, what some resistance. You think it's like re- like revolutionary to have an emoji? I'm like, no, but it makes people feel nice. Like, come on. <laughs> what's that? What's that quote? Like, I don't want to be part of your resistance if it can't have emoji or whatever. I don't know that quote. Wait, is that a quote or did you just make that quote? <laughs> Never heard that. It's just, a, they're just drawings. Yeah. They're pretty they're drawings. Just, they're it's nice. like a good morning drawing. It's like when your mom draws yeah. like a smiley face on your lunch bag or something. Exactly. I don't know what it is. Exactly. <laughs> just, but um, yeah, I haven't been on Twitter very much the past few days, which is the first few days since the election that that has been the case. And you've, um, we, we're not going to get too into this, but you have been, uh, do you want to describe it? Like under Some attack. Some things have been happening. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, I mean, being a lady on the internet with opinions is always a, like a bit of a risky business anyway. Yeah. Um, but since the election, I've gotten a lot more attention. And um, especially in the last few weeks, I wonder what could be new that I'm hmm. doing Hmm. I don't know. What am I doing oh, that's God. new? <laughs> anyway, oh right, this podcast. No. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> anyway, but for some reason, <laughs> it's last, all our fault. <laughs> it's all your fault. No, it's not. Um, no, but the past few weeks I've been getting a lot more negative attention. Um, and the thing about the internet is that there's already all these like roving bands of misogynists, like kind of like slavering about like orcs, um, waiting to be like sent in the direction of some lady. And so lately, sometimes that lady has been me. And, um, you know, like it's troll. I mean, whatever. I don't want to waste time talking about troll comments, but it's sort no. of bleeded out of Twitter a little bit into like my yeah. real life more. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and they so they weren't all trolls. It was like some checkmarked people. And, oh, yeah. No, there's like right wing media. I had a tweet up for like two seconds about like literally it was up for two minutes. I'm writing a biography of a lesbian artist from the 19th century. And I made a tweet about it. And I was kind of like, yeah. you know, it was it wasn't even I actually deleted it two minutes later because I was like, that doesn't, that doesn't express well what I'm trying to say. 
it had nothing to do with anything. And they wrote an article about it in a right wing publication about the tweet right. that I wrote right. that was right. up for two minutes. For two minutes, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was really only two minutes. Yeah, it really it's like, was. It's like they I were mean, waiting for that. It was almost like they were waiting for something. Well, that that's I was that's trying. a that's a tactic. You know, they sit on people's Twitter feeds and just and they collect everything that comes out of that feed, and they yeah. look for anything and everything that they can sort of spin however they want to. That's yeah. that's a that's a tactic. Yeah. yeah. So I got like hundreds, you know, hundreds of whatever people coming my way, coming to Facebook, coming to you know all my social media, my email, and you know, threatening me and like um, pointing out where I live and things like that. So that was interesting. But Jonathan, Scary. you sent me a very helpful link. Yeah. So, so I, <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad that Same I'm way. really, gl- I didn't know for sure if that was going to be how helpful it is. I'm so glad that it was um, during Gamergate, the whole thing that happened in 2014. Um, I became sort of intimately familiar with, with this, you know, MO that, that these roving bands of misogynists, as you describe them, have. That's what and, they um, are. That's what they are. <laughs> no, that's literally the woman that was at the center of Gamergate is a really amazing uh, woman, Zoe Quinn, a, a, a raconteur and game developer. Uh, she was literally the cause of Gamergate. Like the whole thing came out of uh, quote unquote, and I say that with the biggest possible quotes, scandal. She created a company, a sort of nonprofit thing uh, and a guide for people that were, uh, that sort of undergo this, this barrage of hate that comes from these misogynists. Yeah. And it's called. That are under attack from the internet. Yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so it's it's just called Crash Override Network. And it's basically just a bunch of tools. Well, you can you can describe sort of how it helped maybe. Yeah, crashovridenetwork.com. The website suggests all these different ways to protect yourself online that normal people probably don't think about. Um, so that was helpful because it's just stuff like, okay, do you have an account here? Do you have an account there? What about Amazon? What about your bank? How about, here's how you do like, what's it called? The two-step? The two-factor authorization. Thank you. Yeah. That one. Um, yeah. And, you know, mm-hmm. it was just, it was helpful. I mean, somebody in the intelligence community said that, look, like you can't keep the government out of your email if, you, if they right. want to be in your email. But this is a way to like deter, you know, just basically jerks online. Yeah. And it seems like it's like a great resource when, you know, when you're go when, cause you, when it happens to you, you're in crisis mode. Right. And like, it feels as though you're just being attacked. And I feel like it's a really good thing just to have, okay, step some by armor, step by yeah. step. Yeah. Some, just like some way to know that you're, you're fighting back against. Yeah. Here's, here's what I need to do right now. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I don't want to like dwell on this too much, but it's like, no. it's one of those things where you're like, you don't want to let it get to you and you're not really supposed to talk about it because if you talk about it, they're like, Ooh, we got to her. I mean, the truth is that yeah. like, you don't, you didn't really, I mean, no, you know, anyway, being a woman on the internet, so much fun. And, and I would just say, you know, you should lock down your stuff. A- anyone listening, you should lock down your stuff regardless, but, but yeah. uh, chances are you won't like, cause I know I didn't until it happened happen to me and so if it, if it ever does happen you just remember crash override network and go there and it'll be very helpful crash override network.com yeah and and it'll be fine and i also yep. was told you know in general these things are like storms you know don't react uh lock your stuff down and it passes in a few days exactly few days, so. most of the time most um the i'm gonna time. i'm gonna put a little uh plug out there for if you if you have the chance if you, if you run in a circle that 
offers a crypto party, uh, which is basically a, chan- a chance for you to meet up with a bunch of people. Oh, and, that's and, fun. And you lock down your computer with a bunch of like-minded people maybe who have never thought of this before. Yeah. It gives the whole thing a little bit more of kind of a fun community air. Um, yeah, you that know. sounds it's good. It's a pain. It's a pain to go through all your stuff and do it. But that I was really intimidated fun. before I did it. Like, I remember yeah. the beginning, like, Jesse was like, Jesse, you were like, Summer, have you done the computer stuff yet? I was like, yeah. You're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It can be scary, me. but it's yeah. <laughs> but but getting a group together that sounds like a lot of fun. Actually, really, it does to me. So yeah, there's, there's at least five groups operating in New York specifically, and that's their thing. Is that they just throw periodic it's, crypto parties, and you can just go, and then they'll teach you everything for free. And sometimes it's there'll fantastic. be snacks. <laughs> snacks sound I, nice. I love snacks. Um, it just feels related to a conversation about journalism to me for some reason. Okay. Yeah, but I guess. Interesting that conversations about trolling would lead me into wanting to talk about journalism. But, you know, we have an Internet troll heading for office. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what like that's what he is. And I feel like there's this strange the tone of trolling has entered the mainstream in this way. Yeah. Yeah. That is huge Mm -hmm. and um, and disconcerting. It's it's pretty terrifying. And, And what it makes me think of is like is is all that stuff that I experienced with with Gamergate and. It was easy to feel like, oh, maybe Gamergate sort of lost, quote unquote, and um, and then this happened, and it was like, oh wait, they no, won. no, they won in a, it, they won a big, they won a big one, mm-hmm. and it's all the same stuff. You know that tone does extend in so many ways into the real world right, right. now with yeah. hate crimes on the rise and and all that kind of stuff. It's just, and it's not, it's not like Trump created an aggressive style of tweeting, you know, a way of. Uh, you know, punishing enemies and being mean on Twitter and and, and off Twitter, l- lashing yeah. out, but you know it's it's coming down from the very tip top now. So it's almost like, hey, all you Gamergate people who kind of like felt like you were done, come back, yeah. come come back on. Yeah, right. Twitter's ready for you. I have a thought that's too complicated to probably talk about on this, oh. but it's like, give give it a shot. Give it yeah, a shot. give it a well, shot. We're, just, we're here for you. I've been th- thanks, guys. <laughs> I've been thinking about <laughs> I've been thinking about this, and I and I don't know what the answer is, but I realize like. Okay, so like when people are getting into discussions online, um, so I've gotten into many discussions online in the last two months, um, yeah. and there's this weird inequality that exists, and I don't know how to fix it or if it can be fixed or even how to respond to it or even what pointing it out really accomplishes. But if mm-hmm. I get into it with a male journalist online about an issue, like they say a story is dumb and I don't think it's dumb or I think it's dumb and they don't think it's dumb or whatever it is. We have an unequal experience online within that discussion because there are, like I said, these roving bands of misogynists who will right. look for and find our argument and then pile on to me. Right. And they may know that male journalist and they may not. Um, or he may, you know, like they, they might. And so there's this odd thing that happens where. This is why this is a complicated thing. I don't know how to talk about it. But it's just something that I notice a lot lately, lately and that frustrates me. And I feel like I can't bring it up. And that's why I'm bringing it up on the podcast. Because it's like, it's not fair. But I can't go to the guys and say, don't argue with me because I'm a woman. That's ridiculous. Right. But I wish that there was some awareness. Like, and I don't want them to change the way they're speaking with me. But I, no. at the same time, I wish that they could acknowledge that when they do this, they have all well, this crazy is, backup. Are, yeah. you, are you saying that the... That the- tenor of their comments when you're going back and forth uh go it's not the same way that they would speak to another male journalist for instance well actually that's that's not what i was saying but there's that's yeah. also often true yeah. <laughs> not with everyone but but that is the case i even just mean even when the the discussion isn't disrespectful 
when it's, it's more just, the it's more the the pilers on it's like right it's that there are trolls that are looking for excuses to attack women and of course now like i'm on some thing anyway how how could i mean how could it be different like how could know. the journalist that you're talking to uh have a discussion with you in a way that maybe that wouldn't happen or well i don't is, and and it, is it even like you you just want you you just even want the journalist themselves to be like to 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 just to just maybe even acknowledge that like wow Hey, group of people over here, stop being so shitty! Like <laughs> yeah, we were right. just having a discussion over, right? Cut the, cut is, the nonsense. We're just is that talking. a little bit of what you're saying too? Like, I just guess. Like, I mean, because it's like, like I'm not saying don't argue with me because I'm female. For God's sake, you know that's horrible. But maybe it is just right. an acknowledgement right. to be like, look, my experience is drastically different from yours, and quite stressful sometimes. Um, and you're right. not you're not supposed to acknowledge that. But it's like there's an aspect of what's happening right now that is extremely gendered. Which, Absolutely. Yeah, which shouldn't be a shock because of who we because who was elected, who was this raging misogynist. It's, <sighs> it, it, you know, and the thing is, the thing is, I think it's good for you to talk about it, though, because yeah. because I think for a lot of people, it is a shock. And 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 men will continue to not believe you because they're awful. And I see it as like, <laughs> no, I, see I mean, it, you know, well, no, but but for real. And 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 I see it in a lot of ways. It's like similar to this thing of like you know, street harassment, right? I think that's like a really good parallel because men don't experience street harassment ever. Well, pretty much. Not in the same way. (laughs) Yeah. And so, um, you know, I remember the first time like my wife told me about the kinds of street harassment stuff that she gets. It's like, it's hard to believe at first because you're like, how is that even possible that people feel, that men feel comfortable doing that kind of stuff and then you know over the last few years we've seen so many projects that 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 bring it to light and i see this as the same kind of thing it's like at a certain point enough people have said it and it's just clear enough that you have to take it into account and and acknowledge it but still there'll be men who don't want to acknowledge it well that's the first thing about privilege i mean whether you're talking about male privilege or white privilege or whatever is like the biggest thing about privilege is you don't have to acknowledge that you have the privilege right I mean, I think the first I was maybe in my early 20s or late teens before that dawned on me as like what white privilege was, yeah. you know, and a, a, <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Yeah. No, like a non-white friend was like, hey, you know, <laughs> there's this thing. I mean, she yeah. wasn't like an attack on me personally, but it was a very um, it was an important thing to have pointed out specifically that that the biggest part of your privilege is not having to acknowledge that. It exists, and if you can and it's do it's so that, hard to hear at first. It uh-huh. can be, you know. For Apparently. <laughs> um, speaking of journalists, um, journalism. How about that journalism that's happening right now? Um, I like that that's like a, I like that that's like a catchphrase. How that's about your, that thing that's going on? Yeah, yeah, that's like your catchphrase. How about them journalism's happening? How about that journalism? Do we want to talk about what's, what's, what's scaring us and what's making us hopeful? Should, should we do yeah. that section? Okay. I feel like that's a segment and I like it as a segment. Let's start should. with, should we start with fears and then go to hopes? Yes. Like we didn't do last time? Okay. Yes. Let's do that. Uh, my, fe- my fear is very personally driven. Just it's, it's the week when we've started really talking about gutting the Affordable Care Act. And as a general, generally a freelancer, pretty much that's the type of journalist I am. That's what I have, Obamacare. So on a very personal level, I'm just, I'm just watching, crossing my fingers. Doesn't look good. Does not look good. I'll do my fear. I'm afraid I'm going to be murdered. 
That's good. That's yeah. that's, that's, that's maybe one that's, that's that's a good fear. That's no, I gotta be honest. My my, I mean, like, I'm not supposed to say that. I'm not supposed to say that the trolls made me scared. But I was afraid. I coming back to New York from being in the country, I was afraid that I was gonna be murdered in my home. That's my fear this week. How about you, that's, Jonathan? That's that's scary. That's plenty scary. I shouldn't I had, say that. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Your, I mean, your that's... fear is scarier than mine. All of a sudden, I, I feel bad. I, that's what I meant by good. No. I was like that. I, 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 I meant like that is the best. Yeah, that... g- good luck, Jonathan. What are, you, what are you scared of? It seems so wussy now. That's yeah, exactly, exactly. You win. You win the the scared. I'm also scared about Obamacare. No, that sorry. I actually don't. I don't feel that scared anymore. I did when I was coming home, though. But go on. Um, my my fear is like a renewed, like this renewed fear with Trump that like. You know that that somehow we're gonna live in a country where we don't have free and fair elections in four years. Oh, totally. That yeah. that that things that he's doing and that he's gonna do are gonna be so detrimental to our democracy that in four years, yeah, it'll we'll be living under some kind of dictatorship or or even two years when you know so many people are talking about the midterm elections yeah good luck yeah i mean those are already those are already because of the districts you know because the gerrymandering they're already questionably democratic but for sure but yeah even on just some other level that we've never experienced before like forget mundane regular old voter suppression that's like you know that's so 2016 yeah Yeah, like i don't know i'm with you i agree so, so, so just you know, some moves that Trump was making, or that seems to be making this this time, you know, this time around, it's like I'll see something that he's doing, and it'll just like, it'll it'll just bring that that gut fear back for me, where I'm like, oh, that's that's it's that's become so such a familiar sc- feeling that gut fear, right? That mm-hmm. gut fear, it's there, and it just kind of hits you, hits you like a punch. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's <laughs> that's my fear. That there. <laughs> That our democracy is that our democracy is gonna die. Yeah, murder, democracy, murder. That we're in the final days of America. That's my yeah. That is, yeah. That's uh, yeah. yeah. I'm glad we're one. we're doing this podcast about hope. Nice. Me too. Yeah, no, but well, we are. Okay, can we do the hopeful parts yet? Yes. All right. Let's let's immediately right. follow with the hope. I think yeah. that's great. I I did think that it was pretty hopeful and cool. And uh, our guest this week will talk more about this a lot. Um, that. When there was that really kind of bizarre ethics committee, yeah, the Office of the Congressional Ethics, the the idea that it would just be gutted, uh, that there was kind of a groundswell of people rising up against it, and I made phone calls, and I know lots of people, other people who made phone calls, mm-hmm. um, and then it got reversed, mm-hmm. and it seemed like you know what, that is the way it's supposed to go. Yep. Mm-hmm. No, it's cool. great. Um, I have a I have a two I have a twofer. Um, one is. One is that um, the president of the NAACP, Cornell Williams, William Brooks, uh-huh. and mm-hmm. um, some some uh, of his colleagues, you know, did a sit-in, did, you know, went and occupied Jeff Sessions' um, office and got arrested and, yeah. are, you know, are promising to, to keep doing that. And, you know, based on our discussion last week with Samir, this is the kind of stuff, you know, that we, that we want to see. And mm-hmm. I was just like, I just felt so good when i saw that it just like it it really gave me so much hope in that moment it felt it felt great to see that my other one is a little bit more complicated but it's like i have this it's related to a fear and the fear is that no matter what trump does his base 
the people that voted for him are going to, and I don't know if I already said this before, the people that voted for him are going to uh, be with him. But I saw, there's two things this week. One is that there was this great New York Times article, a bunch of interviews with Trump voters about um, Obamacare and about what they think about health care. And it just basically left you with the impression that if if the GOP and, and Trump do what they are promising to do, that there will be a lot of pissed off and angry and upset uh, Trump voters. Yeah. And that gives me hope. Like, like upset Trump voters gives me a lot of hope. There's then something just happened, which is Trump is going to be asking Congress to pay for the wall, which is which sort of just came down on, on CNN. Mm. As, I didn't as, hear that. As we were talking, like this, this popped up on my phone. Ah. Okay. Um, and so it's similar stuff like that. It's like, it's like if, if Congress pushes back against Trump, because that's going to be a very expensive thing. Um, and he promised the public he was going to make Mexico pay for it. Like, are, is his base going to be like, hmm, you know? And so that gives me a little bit of hope, just the idea that maybe his base will um, see him for the fraud and huckster and piece of garbage that he is, mm-hmm. basically. Tell it like it is, Jonathan. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Loud and clear. So my things, my thing, my things. Um, one is more amorphous and one is more like, I guess, concrete. Well, so Congress is back in session and it looks like they're all pretty fired up. Um, yeah. Which is good. And I, um, I don't know, maybe this is cheesy, but I've been feeling this week inspired by the fact that um, Congressman John Lewis exists Mm. (laughs) yeah yeah basically and that he is still going so strong with his message um i i would love to get him on the podcast someday yes yes um and he is a you know a civil rights legend he met rosa parks when he was 17 and you know was inspired by her getting in trouble and decided that he was going to get in good trouble and that's been his thing his whole life and I just think he's such an inspiring person. And so I've been watching some of his speeches from when he was a young man and also recently talking about this. And and he always says, never give up. So so here's the other thing that's making me feel hopeful, which is that um, last week on the podcast, I talked about bullshit fatigue. Yeah. And I said that it was the trench foot of yes of the whatever we're going through, resistance, information war, whatever. And um, I'm like way more in love with this analogy than anyone else. And anyway, so I actually looked up like how you treat trench foot and thought about like, <laughs> I, I no, but I was like, okay, fine. But I was just like, how can I, how can I extrapolate the treatment of this to what my metaphor is? And basically this just like way overcomplicated way of saying that I had to get off the, get off the internet and spend a few days away from the news. Cause I've been like really immersed in everything every single day since, since the election. And which is great. And, yeah. and you did that and, and it's clearly had a beneficial effect yeah. on your sanity. Yeah. Oh my God. Correct? Yeah. No, it yeah. has. I mean, I don't want to imply that I was like not sane. It wasn't that, but I was grumpy. Um, I was feeling very yeah. unhappy. It takes and a toll. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't feel like unstable, but I, I did not feel happy at all. And um, so it was good for me. So I haven't been on Twitter much the last few days. 
uh, for once. I didn't even announce it because if I announce it, I know I'll be back in an hour. So instead, I just was, didn't do say anything. So I also haven't really been reading the news too much. I did look at <laughs> NewYorkTimes.com and Jesse made fun of me for saying NewYorkTimes.com. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a site. Quite the website. NewYorkTimes.com. Check it out. It's really great. It's a good one. It's a good um, one. No, I did, took a, like, did the like evening briefing, like what's happening in the news. And, um, and the hearings were today, the Senate hearings about what is it? Russia. Yeah, this is what happens when I don't read the news. I'm like, what's going on? Um, no, but McCain and... and <laughs> McCain and Graham, and they laid it in Trump. Everybody there was just like, Trump is an idiot, basically, is, is, the, is the impression that I got. That there's a difference between skepticism of the intelligence community and disparagement of the intelligence community. And yeah. McCain just seems like he's seething, quietly seething. <laughs> See, that's what I mean. He seems still on, on board with being like hell no about all this and so much depends upon one angry senator (laughs) yeah yeah so this week we are talking with emily ellsworth who is a former congressional staffer yeah and we we like everyone else sort of became aware of her through her viral tweets which were amazing do you want to read her bio summer yeah Yeah. I do. Yeah. I do want to read Okay, good. Why don't you do that? Emily Ellsworth is a former congressional staffer. She worked for Congressman Jason Chaffetz and Congressman Chris Stewart in their state offices in Utah from 2009 to 2014. She now works as a freelance editor and writer. Since the election, she's written thousands of words about how to engage with your local representatives that have been featured on CNN, The New York Times, Huffington Post, Vox, Jezebel, and many others. You can find her guide, Call the Halls, Contacting Your Representative the Smart Way, at callthehallsguide.com. And now, here we have our interview with Emily. So Emily Ellsworth, thank you for joining us on The 451. Hi, thanks for having me. I was excited to have you on the podcast because of your Call the Halls project. Um, What can you tell us about that? That stemmed out of some viral tweets maybe two or three days after the election. I tweeted out just like a string of stuff based on my experience working in Congress. And within a few hours and the following days over, you know, into the weekend, into the next week, they went viral. They were seen... Uh, I want to say somewhere like 25 million times. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. (laughs) So much. Yeah. And they'd been featured on the Huffington Post and the New York Times, CNN. Uh, I wrote a piece for Jezebel and a few other places. And so, like, they they got shared a lot. I was seeing them not just on Twitter, but they were on Tumblr and they were on Facebook. And people had, like, screenshotted things. And a lot of people were asking me, how can I share this? Like, I have friends. Not a lot of people are actually on Twitter, despite what Twitter people think. (laughs) (laughs) So they wanted to share it. And so I just spent a few days... um, writing it down basically like i i went to the you know from my knowledge and then i looked at a few other studies and other people who were saying things and decided to just write it into something that looked nice and was easy to read and easy to share and print or you know and i also added some things like some worksheets or little lists that you could do to kind of figure out what you're doing and also Mm -hmm. learn a little bit and so i wrote that out and had a friend who's a graphic designer make it really nice for me. And I just stuck it up on the web and people started downloading it. Were you surprised at the overwhelming response? I mean, that, that is a lot of down, people reading these these tweets. 
I've been out of government for quite a few years, and so it's it's something that I've tweeted about before, but it's not like it wasn't a thing that like I did for my job. Mm-hmm. And so it was really overwhelming and like really exciting. I was really encouraged to see how many people were excited about actually contacting the representatives. I mean, there are a few people that like just you cannot bust through their apathy. They Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. In- I have a few friends like that. They insist that like nobody cares. I'm like, well mm-hmm. then, don't do anything. Then I guess I don't know. What <laughs> but also, to tell don't you. talk to me about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I want to hear that. But a lot of people were really excited about it, and what I was really excited about was that people were listening to what I was saying, and then they were coming back and saying, "Hey, I called my representative for the first time ever, and it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be." And I kind of realized that people were, they're scared. Like they see their representatives as like, and their staff is like these people that are so disconnected from them. And it doesn't Mm. have to be that way at all. Yeah. I mean, I was introduced to your work through your tweets as well. And I was struck by both the, you know, giving people the empowerment to make those calls, but also helping them do so in an effective way. And that's what I I found um, so compelling about your project. What are some of the key points that that you're providing? Yeah, what what I'm trying to emphasize is that people need to have a relationship with their elected officials and they need to know those people. People tend to focus on the elected officials that are in the news a lot and feel like those people hold all the power. And they're the ones who make all the decisions and that your rep doesn't matter or they don't care or they don't listen or I've heard every excuse. I mean, I, people tweet me and they say, "Hey, I am a Democrat and I live in a really Republican state. And so should I call? And then I have people who say, hey, I'm a Democrat in a really blue state. And um, should I call? And I'm like, well, if you guys are all using the same logic, then nobody's calling. Like, oh, right. Wow. Right. wow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's important, no matter what you think, to have your voice heard. And it's important to say things to the people who make the difference. So to understand whenever you're looking at at a situation, like a a real problem that you've seen in the news or you've seen on Twitter or Facebook or however you're getting that information, when you're seeing that call to action, you need to stop and think about, um, is it relevant right now? Is this a thing that's happening? Is this a bill? Is this an amendment? What is it? Identify what that is and put a name to it and understand at least a little bit of the context. And then determine who is the person who has power over this? Is this somebody in the House? Is this somebody in the Senate? Is this somebody in my state legislature? All those things are really important as you kind of piece together what you do next. And then you determine, okay, I'm going to call my House of Representatives member on this specific issue. And then you have more credibility with whoever you're talking to because you have done some research. Because it's when you take hundreds of these calls, you get to know like who kind of knows what they're talking about and who doesn't. And it, and ultimately like that doesn't matter. You can kind of figure it out, but the people who know you get a feel for, you know, Oh, I, sh- I should really pay attention to what they're saying. I was wondering if you, if we could look at like the, the brouhaha earlier this week with the, the ethics commission and as like a sort of case study as, as like what, what can work and what do you think worked in that, in that instance? Yeah, so that's a really good example. I was excited to see that happen earlier this week because I felt like that was a really good example of how constituent phone calls work. Members of Congress are not only listening to phone calls and emails when they make legislative decisions. 
Right. Shockingly. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> With this office of congressional ethics situation, they had a, you know, they kind of snuck it in there in the rules. And there's a few things that kind of made that ripe for, I guess, overturning or, or defeating. Mm-hmm. One was that Speaker Ryan and the majority leader, uh, Kevin McCarthy, were against it. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to do it. For, like, completely obvious reasons, it looked so bad. I mean, the optics were just <laughs> terrible. Yeah. Like, it was a really bad idea. And <laughs> The House yeah. GOP comes out against ethics. I know. And, and they decide at midnight, and yeah, it just seems yeah. dark. I mean, that that part of it, when you're talking about, like, meeting in conference behind closed doors like that's a normal thing that happens at the beginning of every congress the point is is that the optics look really really bad and so i think that's a lot of the reason why speaker ryan and the majority leader said no way they did it anyway but they hadn't adequately prepared a good message for Mm. how they were going to defend this and how Mm. they were going to make it okay i mean that's kind of a tricky one to defend in a lot of ways it is So I think what happened was people, they saw the ethical thing and they started calling and Mm. making a lot of noise about it. And members and their staff were really caught off guard and they didn't know how to answer. Some staffers or some people that tweeted me and told me that they called said staffers didn't know, which is completely likely. Like Mm. they, some of these people were brand new. Like it was their first day on the job. They probably didn't even know how like the rules package worked. Um, Some of them might've been interns who like, like were fresh (laughs) off the boat from, I don't know, middle America. Like they just don't have a clue. And so they're like, we don't know. So you you have that problem where they, they can't really defend it. They don't really know. It looks really bad. Leadership's against it. Uh, People are calling. And I think at that point, Paul Ryan just said, look, you guys, you got to scrap this. Like, this is a, this is a terrible idea. We didn't want to do it in the first place. And you're derailing everything. Like everything that we want to do, you're kind of like now making it look like we just want to operate in the shadows. Mm. And you have to look for those types of things, those Mm. things that have a combination of really shaky support within the conference. Even if the speaker is for it, if you have a majority or even a a part of the conference, the Republican conference is like, this is not going to go over well in my district, things that have really bad optics. And things that uh, are so targeted, you could say, you know, don't vote on the good law amendment. It, that's that's so easy to message to a representative rather than like, don't repeal the Affordable Care Act. That's a little different because that's a little bigger. And that's that's been a key part of the Republicans platform, platform. for yeah. the last like six years, eight years. Were yeah. you around for the for um, SOPA and PIPA PIPA? Uh, because that was a sort of a similar that was that was a very specific thing that and and from what I remember it was it had a lot of support and then it kind of all got got flipped in the end right is that yeah and that one also is a good example because what happened was is you had a bunch of people that were making those decisions who did not have the expertise right Mm -hmm. they have know nothing about the internet right yeah they didn't know I mean they just didn't know and even my boss was one of the people who ended up not supporting it and one of the things he said was like we don't have enough nerds and geeks in here like (laughs) making these decisions because people didn't know like that stuff is really tricky and like a lot of those legislators are old and they just haven't worked in those industries so uh when people called and, and knew what that bill was going to do and knew the damage it was going to do and could talk about it, legislators were kind of like, uh, you know what, let's not do that. 
Right. Wow. So just maybe like a regular person calling who did have expertise in that area could have, you know, influenced. Had a lot of sway. Influence in that situation. That happens a lot, actually. People Mm -hmm. who have a specific set of expertise, I think, really have a unique opportunity to to step up. I feel like this is true. Like if we're talking about, for instance, the Affordable Care Act, Hmm. I feel like members of the healthcare community have a unique responsibility and role here to step up and talk about the things that they'd like to see changed in the Affordable Hmm. Care Act and things that they think need to stay Hmm. because they see how it works in their day-to-day lives and how it works with their patients and people trust, you know, their doctors. Right. That's good to know. What are some of the, are there some like common mistakes people make when they're calling representatives that you've seen? I would say the the most common one is people who call people who do not represent them. Okay. So that's one that that's a hill I'm going to die on. Okay. I, <laughs> I, cause I saw it, this came up yesterday too, that people really want I, I don't know why this is people just want to call whoever they think is going to make a difference that's ultimately yeah. like what it comes down to i think it's especially like you were saying people who like people who, who are democrats who live in very blue mm-hmm. they're like it's not going to do anything yeah, if i call, call mine matters. i'm just going to call you know paul ryan i'm going to tell him yeah and he doesn't care like <laughs> he, he, he doesn't <laughs> he, have to take you into account at all no, right? like, like he he doesn't care what somebody from California says. And no, really? <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know that that's a hard thing for Californians to hear. Yeah. And New Yorkers. Yeah. That, like people, because so I'm from Utah and I've lived here my whole life. And okay. um, we're considered flyover country. And so yeah. it's like, that's a real sore spot with yeah. legislators and people who live out here. That It's like, we don't want you guys telling us what to do. Yeah. I, I worked for, you know, two different members. My boss, especially, you know, Congressman Chaffetz was on the news a lot. Whenever he was on the news, we'd, got, we'd get a flood of phone calls from people who either hated him or loved him in... <laughs> who knows where yeah and it was like how fast can we get these people off the phone because Mm -hmm. they tied up a lot of our resources we didn't really care what they had to say and at some point like it really hurts the message because it's very easy for an office who's getting tons of phone calls out of state to shut off their phone right Mm -hmm. And say, you know what? We're only going to listen to email. And they screen out those emails uh, with their, you know, on their websites. They can do that with zip codes and a few other things Mm, to kind of screen out people who are not in the district. And so they'll just turn off their phones. And like, what have you done to the people who live in that district now? Like you've you've cut off one of their methods of, of communication. So I think people need to trust the people in those districts to call. So if I am a Republican voter in New York City, which is, you know, and I have a, a Democratic representative and it's a Democratic state and I have an opinion about something happening in the Republican conference. Mm-hmm. Do I still call my Democratic leader? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, because your your Democratic leader, I mean, the minority party always has less power than the majority um, right. just because duh but (laughs) (laughs) because duh yeah no that that about sums it up yeah yeah um but i mean they do have some power and one of the things that like i saw because when i started working for congress that was in 2009 and that was right after like the democrats had a super majority right right uh in the house and so we got elected and it was like what did what did republicans do they squawked really loud we were really really vocal at every Mm -hmm. opportunity to criticize 
leadership to criticize the president. If you're Republican in a blue state Mm -hmm. and you want to encourage your Democratic member, they still need to hear from you because they represent you. Understanding that, like, you're probably not going to change a lot of their opinions, but you really do get into an echo chamber when only people who support you are calling. Uh, so people who disagree with their representative should call regardless of like how they fit in that puzzle of party and representation. What were you seeing happening around you that inspired you to send out those tweets in the first place? Well, so I was really vocal during the election cycle in being against uh, Donald Trump okay. as a Republican in Utah and a former you know Republican staffer. I had made like I had said a lot about it. Um, yeah. And I'd started or I started a chapter of Republican Women for Hillary in Utah and worked with a few people nationally to kind of write some things and, and mm. do things with that. So after the election, people were very upset <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> felt like, uh, you know, just the, I mean, we all kind of remember that feeling. Of yes, despair. we do. <laughs> I do. I do remember. Yeah. <laughs> I know, you know, from my experience, this is the type of thing that worked. This is what happened when I worked there. And this this is the kind of stuff that didn't work. Um, and so trying to get people to focus more on who represents them locally. And I especially like people to focus even more local than federal, like to start actually thinking about their state legislatures with the census coming up and all these important things. Um, you know, there's a real duty to figure out who your representatives are at all le- levels. It's very interesting, you know, I think there's this assumption, especially among Democrats, that all Republicans support Trump or, you know, that they that even if they say they don't, like they secretly do or something like that. And and I that's not been my experience when you sort of look around you. But I don't know if you what your response would be. I mean, you, you were obviously vocally against Trump. I I wasn't going to get involved in any of it because I got burned out by politics after I left. I left because I hated it so much. And so when the presidential elections start coming around, I was like, this, this whole thing is stupid. And I was even, you know, texting coworkers, former coworkers. And I was like, man, this Trump thing, that's wild. And they're like, yeah, ha ha. And then right. like it stopped being funny um, because he was winning states. And I was like, there's no way he's going to win the primary. Like there's just, there, there's no way that he's going to become the nominee. And then he was. Yeah. And I was like, I, I have to stop taking these things for granted. At some point, if he's elected, historically, I feel like wh- whether it's in my own family or, or whatnot, like I, I'm going to be held accountable for mm-hmm. how I acted. And I just did not want to be on. I didn't want to be apathetic about it. I didn't want to be quiet about it. And I wanted to let people who were like me that weren't saying anything know that it was okay. It was okay to oppose the Republican nominee for president and still call yourself a Republican. Not to be like, you know, the Democrat being like, what's it like? But um, <laughs> but, no, but I, am, I am curious, like, you know, because I think there's some confusion about this. Like to you, I mean, and I guess it is a personal thing, someone's politics, but what is being conservative mean to you? I don't necessarily consider myself conservative. Oh, okay. Um, anymore. And I know that people like to equate Republican with conservative. Actually, that identity thing is really weird. I just turned 30, but like I, I went through this really long quarter life crisis <laughs> where <laughs> I um, couldn't figure out what I was going to do about my political affiliation. Part, partly, which for most people is not a big deal. Sure. But like for me, I'd built a career on it. And so it was a little right. different, you know? Yeah. Um, 
I was leaving my religion. I grew up Mormon mm-hmm. and I left the Mormon church sort of like, I, I still call myself Mormon, but I, I'm no longer active. Wow. Um, and so I was leaving the Mormon church and I, I, I've clung to the Republican title just because it's kind of the only thing I have left. Did you grow up as a Republican in a Republican yeah. family? Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I, my parents are lifetime members of the John Birch society. Okay. Ooh, wow. Interesting. Okay. I have lots of Republican <laughs> credibility, you know, and conservative credibility. Like, yeah. trust me, I, <laughs> I understand that narrative really well. And I, you know, I grew up very conservative. Um, I was really vocal about it. I was very politically active as a teenager into, you know, my college years. And then after I got married, same thing. When I started working for Congress, I realized how the system actually worked. And I started listening to other people's stories. I I moved out of my small town. I was directly confronted with the huge problems that people were facing, Mm. particularly with immigration. That was probably the one thing that, like, you can't speak to hundreds of people and try to help them with their immigration problems and not see the human side of that. I, I mean... that some of the stories kept me up at night and I was very cognizant of of the real struggles that people were having. You were compassionate. (laughs) Yeah, I know that that seems surprising. No, 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 (laughs) no. No, not at all. Not at all, not at all. all. I I say that like kind of tongue in cheek, but at the same time, like my experience as a congressional staffer, I don't think was unique. I I don't know if you you would have advice for people... um, say for uh, Democrats or liberals or you know people that aren't Republicans who want to talk to like Republican neighbors or uh, you know Republicans or conservatives in their community but feel like maybe they don't know how or maybe that seems like a silly it's not like they're like you know blizzard people or something so it's like like kind of like an insulting question but I like so I actually feel bad I feel bad actually asking but I see so often this like sentiment expressed that's like oh you know you can't talk to them like whoever them is well I'm a big proponent of meeting people where they're at and mm. so I know like like I said I feel like um, if you have the bandwidth to do it, you need to just be as compassionate as possible when you're talking to people and do a lot less arguing and a lot more listening, even when that listening is really frustrating. I have a question about about Chaffetz. Like, could he open an investigation into Trump's conflicts of interest? And as I understood it, he could. And, and why do you think he, he doesn't if he if he could? I think he can. I think he might. He might surprise you. Uh, I know you guys are like so skeptical. You you have no idea how open-minded I am at this point about all this stuff. So, yeah. We would be thrilled and <laughs> delighted if that were to happen. Yeah. So part of it is like his big thing right now is like, I'm not doing it because he's not president yet. Okay. And so if that's the case, like we still have a few more weeks starting January 21st. He is president. And when those things come up, uh, that needs to be on the forefront of every reporter's question to Congressman Chaffetz. You know, if they're going to have him on his show to talk about on, on their shows to talk about whatever he's doing with that committee, and there is legitimate, outstanding things with Donald Trump, they need to call him on that. That's that's kind of how I see that rolling out. Um, and I know that's not like a really great answer. I know people want that to happen right now. And, but I honestly, no, I think it's, it, it's it, it could. Like it, it, it's not out of the realm of possibility. And I, 
um, you know, when I worked for him for four years, the thing I knew about Congressman Chaffetz is that he's he's polarizing. He does care deeply about optics and about ethics. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that about him, those are the things that you kind of have to make the case with him about. And I think that, you know, when it comes down to it, I I don't work for him anymore. And so right. I couldn't I couldn't tell you like what his plans are. We don't speak on a on a day to day basis. <laughs> you don't text like hey husband. No, I yeah. mean <laughs> yeah, we I, I I wasn't like that important, but um he he may do it and I, I hope he does. Like yeah. I hope he, he takes that role seriously and that um, people here, because I, I still live in his district, that people here will, you know, make sure to hold him accountable and say that's something that we want. Emily, thank you so much for joining us on The 451. Thanks a lot, Emily. Thank you. Um, I really loved what she was saying about is I'm going to say this in a really blunt way, but like, I really loved what she had to say about Republicans not all being awful people. My parents lived in this condo for a while and a few uh, floors up, they became really good friends with this couple and the husband of which had been like, his mentor was Donald Rumsfeld and he was like the head Whoa. of a... That's serious, yeah, and he, he, <laughs> but he was like the warmest, nicest guy and, and he was like... My dad had a really hard year one year and he was like there for that. That couple was like there for my parents and in such Mm -hmm. a strong way. And that really solidified for me this feeling of like, you know, as much as I hate, you know, the things that say like Paul Ryan stands for, I can totally believe that to the people in his life, you know, he's probably he's this decent guy who who. I hope at least, you know, and so that's just something that that is nice to remember um, and can be sometimes easy to forget. But like, no, yeah, I mean, I, I call upon it when my first job uh, when I graduated from college was as a newspaper reporter in Wisconsin in a very, very red county. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'd grown up in a college town and I it was used to only talking to people who thought like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I met some just wonderful people who I still know to this day. And I, I'm trying I've, I've actually been spending time kind of calling that up. I'm trying to remember that now. Yeah, it was. I mean, same for me. I, you know, growing up in a rural part of California, a pretty good portion of the town were voting Republicans, mostly within the agricultural community. The ranchers and the farmers, a lot of them were Republicans. I don't know. It's it's funny. Of course, it's a political ideology, but there's also something cultural about it. Like if you're born into a Republican family. Yeah, yeah like Emily was saying. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I was born in, I, you know, my name is Summer. I was born to hippies in California. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, they lived on a houseboat. My Different dad kind of legacy, right? You know, I mean, like my mom made tie dye shirts and Wait, in a in a houseboat, really? Yeah, that's amazing. Oh, my, that's my oh. dream. Yeah, I've spent my life dreaming that. I vaguely remember it, but I was really young. Someday, Jesse. Someday you'll get that houseboat. No, I'm serious. It's Thank they're you. pretty. They used to be like the cheap place for hippies to live, and now it's really expensive. But right. anyway, the point is, is you know, there's I think there is something you just grow up in a culture. I mean, when I went to college. I made friends with somebody who I was shocked to find out had been raised Republican. Mm-hmm. You know, my friend who grew up in Wisconsin, actually, interestingly, since you mentioned Wisconsin, Jesse, um, you know, and I so did. she'd grown up Republican and um, from Wisconsin. And so anyway, the point is, is that um, what is the point? The point is that Republicans are not evil and they're good people. 
Which feels stupid to say that, especially since we just talked to an incredibly nice Republican on the podcast. Yeah, but 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 then you know it's like when you see these pictures of them like laughing about about repealing Obamacare and thirty million people losing their health care. It's like, yeah, you know. And so that's are, are, you, are you talking about that viral photo? Yeah, where, where the, they just look so evil sitting in the room, like yeah, yeah, yes. And so those are the I don't moments. Think I saw this photo. It's quite it's hilarious. Quite so, quite but but um, <laughs> those are the moments that's hard to remember that they are people, and uh, it's nice to be reminded of that even while we fight them tooth and nail. Uh, for God, are we really there? I don't mean to be like whatever, but like we're really there where we have to say like, here's a reminder that Republicans are people. Oh yeah, no, I mean we're there because I feel like people myself. are more ang- yeah. people are okay. more angry now than they've been. You know, in so long, like it's so bitter, it's so divisive. I know that for yeah. myself, I need to remind my. I, I I tweeted today that that the GOP, you know, hate the working working people, and and uh, you know, I don't know that I totally believe that, but certainly, <laughs> so many of the decisions that they make on a. But it's on Twitter now, so it's binding. You have to. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I mean, we we also like on this podcast, like we we've every week we talk about how Republicans are all right. You know, it's not it's not like we see it as some big monolithic thing and we're just dismissing everybody out of hand. But it, it is something that I try to remind myself of. And and Emily's point, and this is a point you make summer continually, which is, you know, there you don't have to agree with somebody on everything right. to agree with them. For mm-hmm. instance, that Trump is horrible and should you know <laughs> find that common ground. Yeah, right. Or you know, again, like that's how bipartisan bills happen. Is you have somebody that agrees about immigration on you know in the republican on the republican side and so they're able to yeah bernie bernie worked with uh with mccain and with several other republican senators to get um a veterans health bill passed you know there you go that was like a that was a big deal you know so yeah should we call it a uh call it a podcast, call it a podcast? Yeah, I feel bad because I I'm I feel out of touch with the news and so I'm sure there's all kinds of important things I should be commenting on that I'm not. That's fine. Yeah, I but think we're I think we're I think we're I think people right. I needed to be a person. Yeah, I think people will forgive you needing to and it's important and we talked about it last week how important it is and you uh, you are you are, you know. Also, I have like work to. I mean, it's not like I spent the day like in the bath. Like I I have I, have, I actually have a job sort of. <laughs> I mean, you know, I have yeah. things that I'm supposed to do that are laid and I yeah, anyway. Yeah. Um so I had stuff to. One last random thing and maybe this is cheesy, but um so I flew back uh from New Mexico the other day, right? And I was going through Denver and anyway, when I got into LaGuardia, I was at baggage claim and this woman came up to me. And so I have a big Hillary sticker on my laptop. Mm-hmm. And um anyway, and she came up to me and she said I just wanted to let you know that my daughters were so excited to see your sticker. Aww. That's, That's nice really story. sweet. Yeah. And I, it seemed maybe like a little, little bit like cheesy or something. No. But and they, were, and they were there with her and they were kind of like smiling up at me and like waved and stuff. There's and nothing cheesy about that to me. I don't know. That's really sweet. It's just it was just like, you know, and they said and she said to me, she said, yeah. And they said, Mom, can we still wear our T-shirts? And and she's like, yeah, I said, yeah, of course we can wear the T-shirts. And she kind of gave me this like look, you know, that was a bit sad. But it just was a reminder that I don't know, that like the representation mattered to a lot of people. So much. God, that that <laughs> that, that, that is not cheesy at all. And it makes me very sad. And somehow I'm sorry for the sad very, part of it. I don't know. There's a little bit of hope in there, too. But like but yeah, it's I guess it's sad. I guess for me, it was just sort of a reminder that um I mean, I continue with the sticker on my laptop to like, you know, proclaim who I voted for. And it was nice to be reminded yeah. that 
that that brings hope to people that they're reminded that that's somebody who like shared their values or you know on some on some level so i don't know if that was yeah. random uh-uh. thing oh, that's <laughs> no sorry. that's a good thing to go out on <laughs> For sure. i think actually i don't know so uh how many days until inauguration oh god uh some days let's see 15 it's coming up and it looks like it might happen <laughs> it looks that way I'm getting to the point where I'm seeing that it looks like uh, it looks like inauguration is going to go forward. As John Lewis would say, never give never up. Never give up. Never give up. Never give up. Never surrender. And, and uh, yes, <laughs> was that from Galaxy Quest? Never give up. Never surrender. I swear, like half the things I have to say lately about Trump and fascism are like a reference to some nerdy sci-fi thing. And so bless the people that are still with me for that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But um, never give up. Never surrender. And. Uh, here we go. 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 Hey everyone, it's summer again. So a big thanks to Emily Ellsworth for joining us this week to talk about her guide called Halls. You can download it for free or pay what you will at callthehallsguide.com. And a little update, a few weeks ago, we had Congressman Eric Swalwell from California on the program to talk about his Protect Our Democracy Act, which is aimed at addressing the Russian hacking. Um, And he and Congressman Elijah Cummings reintroduced that bill on January 6th and now have 195 co-sponsors, although no Republican co-sponsors just yet. Um, We want to thank all of our listeners again for supporting us over the past few weeks. An easy way that you can help the podcast and make sure that we can keep bringing it to you every week is to go onto iTunes and to leave us a review or just a rating. It really helps out a lot. We have also decided to open a Patreon account. Uh, Patreon is an online platform where people commit to donate an amount every month to a project like our podcast. You can do a dollar, you can do two dollars, you can cancel anytime, and it's just a great way to make something like what we're doing sustainable. Um, It'll always be free, so if you can't afford anything, you know, please don't worry about it, but it would go a long way in helping us out. So if you would like to contribute, you can go to our website, the451.com, that's the451.com slash Patreon, and that'll take you directly to our Patreon site. Um, On our website as well, you'll also find more information about what we discussed this week, some links, like to the crashovridenetwork.com and some other things, as well as our email and our phone number where you can call and leave us a voicemail to let us know what you're doing to stay hopeful and to resist. So thanks again. This has been The 451, a podcast for the resistance. My name is Marie Nelson, and I'm calling from Lynchburg, Virginia. I just listened to your third podcast, Uh, and I just want to thank you all for what you're doing. Um, It's not so much that it's really giving me hope, (laughs) because I'm pretty freaking hopeless right now, but hearing you all work through, um, you know, processing everything, the positive and the negative, um, what it does do for me is it decreases the loneliness. You know, I'm living in a place right now I have no choice about. 
And so it's not a city, and there aren't a lot of people um, that I've found yet um, who are thinking the way I am. But I know they're out there. I just have to find them. Anyway, your podcast is fantastic, and I'm just really grateful that you all are making the process public so that people can connect. Thank you again. Bye-bye.